Hello and welcome once again to episode 134 of Code Completion. We're a group of iOS developers and educators helping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. Uh, so once once more, we have some Swift evolution updates. Uh, one is just an update of an updated evolution, uh, <laughs> uh, namely observability uh, is going through the rounds one more time, uh, and this time to make uh, just some clarifications with regarding uh, the observable macro uh, and a marker protocol that will help uh, kind of make everything seamless. So. Um, Considering it's getting like lots of feedback and lots of iteration, that probably means that uh, we might be seeing it very, very soon uh, in a few betas uh, to start actually using it. So uh, that is really, really cool. Um, and I hope I hope we do see it soon. Though I don't think it has an implementation attached to it yet. So maybe not. Um, that's That's the nature of an actual open source project being attached to Apple release schedule right it's maybe it makes yeah. it maybe it doesn't yep and that's fine uh yeah so this second review process goes through june 12th so a little less than two weeks for this second round it looks like they're kind of just honing in on uh what they want it to be they've uh they've sort of tabled a couple things to be just it says uh they'll be uh, yeah, the asynchronous values for and changes for methods have been removed and are now discussed in future directions. So uh, that's that sounds good. Just kind of probably getting that MVP uh, implementation in and go from there. Yeah, and it's not the first time that like WWDC has shipped on for with beta one of like one version of uh, a Swift proposal for it to be radically revamped um within a few betas or even within a few releases so uh this it's good to see uh this process being being shepherded through uh because this this one was not really proposed by apple at all it's it's all people outside of apple um that have kind of uh brought this one forward and i was i was just reading another pitch as well of like being able to mar mark uh protocols inside of other types uh, so that way you can have like table view dot protocol, uh, which you can't have right now. You can have oh. you can have a type alias for the dot protocol mm -hmm. bar, but you still need to have a table view protocol, right? Protocol defined elsewhere, which is really silly. Um, and it's it's kind of gone through the process n times due to the fact that we have generics and generics make everything complicated. Uh, and <laughs> yes. this one is basically saying like. Put the generics aside for the simple case. Let's just uh -huh. get this in, uh, and then we can think about the generics because it seems like everyone wants this uh, in terms of like in one capacity or another. So um, I'm glad to see even those kinds of things uh, being considered, especially when people have been asking them for them for literal years. Um, yeah. Though we've been on Swift Five for literal years, haven't we? Yeah, it moved fast for a long time, and Swift 5 just kind of slowed everything down, which, I mean... Mm. I guess fine. it's a good thing. We have a, a bunch of revisions of Swift. Uh, what are we on? 5.8 now? 5.7? Yeah, yeah, we're about to ship 5.9. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, things are moving, but yeah, not quite as, not quite as fast. Yeah. Uh, and other news of things that are moving, uh, one last evolution update, and I'm not sure if this fits as an evolution update or not. 
Uh, this is kind of like one of the big tentpole features for Swift to eventually get, uh, and that is C++ interoperability. So it seems like using Swift from C++ has been like done already um, and is used actively as part of like the Swift compiler and stuff like that um, because some part of the Swift compiler is written in Swift, which is really, really cool. Yeah. Um, and But that was half of the story, right? Using Swift from a memory unsafe language. Uh, and the other half of the story is using a memory unsafe language, C++, from within Swift. Um, and that's what this uh, document aims to go through. Um, and if you don't know anything about C++, you can safely ignore all of this. It's not really <laughs> uh, relevant. Uh, if you do know about C++, you know about the possible headaches that the language team has been kind of working around. Uh, the language group has been working around um, and this kind of outlines what their strategy is going to be. Cool. Yeah, I, you kind of answered my question. I was going to ask, like, this isn't going to be probably, as, I guess it's going to be a much more of a niche thing than, like, interop between Objective-C and Swift, where it's that's fairly common. This seems like pretty niche use case overall as far as the amount of people that would probably be using this. Yeah, and it's it's likely going to be for people who already have a C++ code base but want uh -huh. to start taking advantage of Swift. You can't go like all or nothing, and this gives you the, the avenue to go little by little. Um, as you've certainly seen that progress from Objective-C to Swift, you have to go little by little. If you go yeah. all or nothing, it's like a big, uh, a big oh, endeavor. Yeah. Um, so basically, the strategy here is to identify safe patterns and make those available in Swift. Anything that is not identified as a safe pattern via heuristics can be marked as like, hey, this is available in Swift as this. Um, sure. And you get like complete override if you mark your C++ code appropriately. And if you don't do either of those two things, it's just unavailable. So uh, mm -hmm. I think this is like a good strategy because most C++ developers, they follow the good patterns because it's like basically you walk into a room full of shotguns that are ready to go off. Uh, and that's what C++ <laughs> is. Uh, and I hate to use an analogy that uh, is a symbol of uh, childhood death in America, but um, that is that is be, what memory safety is. There'd be um, dragons. There'd be dragons, definitely. So yeah, it's, it's uh, to use a new analogy, um, because it's everyone always talks about like shooting yourself in the foot. Uh, but to use a new analogy of a more uh, uh, imaginary background, uh, you walk into a dragon lair and there's gold everywhere, but you don't see the dragon yet. Um, there you go. That that's that's uh, what C feels like. It's it's uh, safe until it's very not safe. Uh -huh. Uh, whereas uh, Swift is you're walking into the safe deposit box at your bank. It's like robbers don't exist anymore. You're probably fine there. Um, uh, I don't know how far we're ever going to use that analogy again, but I, I propose it here. <laughs> it has <laughs> Made been up proposed. on the spot. <laughs> um, talking about stuff that's definitely not made up on the spot, uh, it seems like uh, new... Uh, Macs are going to be announced at WWDC per Mark Grumman. Um, and this time it's going to be Mac 14, 13 and Mac 14, 14. Oh, got to love those those identifiers. Uh, yeah. What that really means is probably M2 Macs and M2 Ultra computers. So Macs, probably a Mac Studio. Right? Not a Mac yes. S, a Macs. 
Yes, Max with an X, man. They I can't believe they did that. Uh, yes, so most likely going to be a MacBook Pro uh, and probably a Mac Studio as well. MacBook right? Pro? I, I thought it was going to be a Mac Studio slash Mac Pro was like what they're thinking of uh, in oh, terms of yes. those two machines. Yes, um, you're right. And this has made more complicated. It used to be easy. Like, oh, you see these identifiers and you're like, okay, this is yeah. one family line. 14 <laughs> is one family line. We can kind of uh, identify that. But like every M2 Mac is a Mac 14, which is not helpful to anyone, uh, which is to Apple's benefit because they can kind of be a little a little more loosey goosey with their identifiers. Um, and it's yes. to our detriment because we can't guess what they are. Uh, so we have no ideas. These could be MacBook Airs for all we know. Um, <laughs> that'd be sweet though if there is a macbook air to follow the thing it would be a mac 15 because that would be the m3 uh-huh. macbook air right yes yes so yeah i don't know it'd be cool though um i this article it's a 9 to 5 mac article i thought it was a little bit interesting if it is a new mac studio which i think this is what they're kind of projecting um they're saying once again apple will try to sell the mac studio as a replacement for the mac pro at least until the company decides on the future of its modular desktop. So uh, probably not looking at that that Jade4C anytime soon uh, as far as rumors go, which is a little bit of a bummer. But um, uh, I don't have one, but Dimitri can attest that the Ultra is pretty dang good. Uh, RAM issues aside. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and even even the RAM, like it's a, it's a good machine. Um, yeah. They're good computers, sponsor. Um so it's it's a shame that we're not going to see that extreme chip um as Spencer yeah. so lovingly coined uh and definitely no one else uh No, definitely not. No. Nope, it's um, just me. It was on this podcast first, uh the the MX extreme. Uh <laughs> I replace X with whatever number you want. Uh, it's mm-hmm. going to happen one year. Um yep. But yeah, I think it would be it, it's de- very likely that we are going to see a new Mac. Um Apple has alluded to the Mac Pro, uh, when they kind of finished up their main transition and they said, hey, there's going to be one more. We're not talking about it today. Uh, We are not ignoring it either. Uh, It's coming. Um, So now is the time, right? If it doesn't happen now, they might as well just kind of uh, air power their way out of this. Um, And that would be fine, right? Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this: um, What is the can, what? Can you get uh, 128 gigs of RAM in your Mac Studio? I think it was 256, oh. or it might might have been 128. Yeah, I think it's 128. Uh, what they're saying is the M2 Ultra uh, will double the specs of the M2 Max, which would be so it'll be 192. Uh huh, 192. So is that uh compelling for you? Yeah, I I mean <laughs> I I want I I was compelled by the the multiple terabytes possible with uh, yes, the previous course. Mac Pro. Um, but like at the end of the day, I think I think I'm good. Um, for for the time <laughs> being, um, life life is changing rapidly for me, so sure. I don't know what I will need and what I won't need. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely something that I'm always I'm always going to welcome more RAM, and it's a sad it's sad that we can't like upgrade RAM anymore. Like maybe I could have yeah. just added more RAM, you know, uh, but that's not a thing 
with non-Mac Pro uh, computers. And we'll see if when a Mac Pro is announced, if that is still a thing for a Mac Pro computer, right? Um, It very very well might not be. Um, So that's going to be interesting. Yeah. Uh, You know, what's way interesting is... Oh, Oh boy. uh, Yeah, interesting in pretty much a bad way. Um, Christian Selig, uh, the creator of Apollo, which is a Reddit app, which is very, very popular. um, He put up a a Reddit post today, uh, or sorry, yesterday, uh, that he called with Reddit. So the the news basically is that uh, Reddit is going to charge... $12,000, $12,000, I think, for 50 million API requests, which is like, okay, that's a lot of API requests. And then he breaks it down to say what it would cost for Apollo, the you know the, the current user base of Apollo, if uh, they were to continue on that, or if he was to basically actually pay that, it would be $20 million a year. Apollo made 7 billion requests in a month. So $1.7 million per month. For him to keep that up so they're just basically pulling a twitter and um forcing third-party app developers out like that's not it's not a reasonable amount of money twitter's was forty-two thousand dollars for 50 million tweets uh but this is i mean twelve thousand dollars for anyone operating an actual large client of reddit or twitter uh like apollo or other or like tweet or uh yeah, Tweetbot or whatever. Uh, it's just like an unreasonable amount of money. Like you can't subsidize that with, you know, subscriptions or anything. It'd just be like an obscene amount of money. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge, huge bummer. Yeah, and and he outlines like how ridiculous this is uh, by comparing it to Imager, which is another mm-hmm. uh, service that has like requests. And for 50 million API calls, that costs him a grand total of $166. Uh, so wow. that is the order of magnitude more expensive that Reddit is asking. And to be clear, it's not the cost of maintenance or servers uh, yeah. that is motivating this. It is uh, something completely different. Namely, that they don't, it's a clear message that they don't want third party apps uh, yeah. for their service. And it's a real shame because. Uh, As far as I've heard, and I don't use Reddit all that much, uh, the Apollo app uh, was by far a much better way to experience Reddit than Reddit's own app. Um, And it's a great shame uh, that Reddit feels the need to tell all of the users who care about quality uh, to go somewhere else because that's essentially what they're doing um mm-hmm. with this in no uncertain uh way uh that this is the way it's going to be people have speculated and this is all we can do is speculate uh that this is because large language models from like OpenAI they were trained on reddit data and therefore that is uh something that they want to just cash in on because the large language models they have some cash uh, to spend, uh, whereas these small these small app developers, they don't really have any. Um, like I'd be I'd be surprised if Christian makes more than a single salary that you'd work like mm-hmm. at a nine to five by making this app. Uh, in yeah. fact, it's probably 
quite a bit less, but because he's like working on his own thing, it's immensely more satisfying. Uh, and unfortunately it comes with the giant risk of, uh, at any moment in time, the services you depend on can kind of neuter what you can do. So, uh, this is the situation that he is unfortunately in. Um, and it's a great, great shame that Reddit, uh, did not learn from what is happening to Twitter. Um, and is, uh, deciding to go down this route rather than carve out exceptions for the the uses of their api that are not uh like trying to profit off of their data because in all respects like the apollo app is not doing that uh and they can make that very clear via legal means right there's a there's a legal process to to help them with that um and they're choosing to just go i don't know a different way which is a shame yeah it almost just seems like maybe they wanted to do this for a long time. I don't know, you know, what their reasoning, I suppose, is. But maybe this was just that opportunity with all of the large language models uh, profiting off the data to just be like, okay, sweet. This is the reason we need the cover story, if it, you know, as it were, to just shut everything down. So it's a bummer. I mean, the Reddit app is, I think, better than like the the official Reddit app is like better than the Twitter app, if that makes sense, like the official Twitter app. But yeah, Apollo is pretty dang good. And if it, if you just, it, I mean, it's doing like the same thing as Twitter, right? It's like curating stuff that you like, you're not following. And if you just want to care about what you're actually following, the subreddits you're, you've joined and stuff. And yeah, Apollo's really, really good. So super bummer that, you know, these companies are putting out like th- these passion projects that, people really like like uh you know all of tapbot's apps like and mm-hmm. tweetbot and everything and and now apollo so it's a big bummer yeah um i i want to i read out a post by craig hockenberry who uh was the principal developer for twitterific um at the icon factory um and he says so sorry to hear about the api bullshit i know how hard it is to take care of yourself one of the things i grappled with was what now after so many years of doing the same thing, it's hard to step back and get a clear picture of where to head. For creative folks such as yourself, there's always something somewhere that needs your talents. It's not always easy to find that new path, but you will. Um, and I think that sums this up perfectly because they very similarly went through that very same thing. And unlike Tapbots, they didn't just rebound on Mastodon, for instance. They sure. are kind of diversifying uh, the kinds of apps that they're working on uh, instead, which is a completely different strategy, right? Um, over, whereas Tapbots was able to use much of the same work that they did for Tweetbot. Um, yeah. And they kind of went through this once before. I don't know if you remember app.net, um, but app.net yeah. was an endeavor uh, by like basically people in the app and uh, the Apple uh, platform ecosystem uh, we're trying to make a, a replacement for Twitter uh, that was instead of being based on ads, it was based on like, hey, you had to pay to be part of it and payments would go back to developers. It was all mm-hmm. about like building apps on a shared ecosystem. Uh, not too unlike Mastodon, but it was before Mastodon, right? It was a, an experiment in that 
Um, unfortunately, that failed because there were no free, there was no free tier and therefore no way for people to kind of dip their toes into this. It sure. was just, you pay, you're part of it. You're not, you don't pay and you're not part of it. Um, and it failed to kind of uh, grow as a result of that. Uh, but uh, Tapbots, they made an app.net client, which was Tweetbot at the time uh, oh. that was like skinned basically the same, but it was going towards the app.net uh, API instead of the Twitter API. So it's not the first time they did this. They probably knew the writing was on the wall for a very long time um, and prepared to have something that can be easily ported. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what Ivory is. It's it's a code base that has it's, evolved mm-hmm. uh, from Twitter to Mastodon and has done it well, right? Um, yeah. And it's it's still in the process of, of evolving and getting better. Um, and it's it's good to see that uh, if, like, I don't know if, if uh, our listeners knew, but uh, it's available on the Mac now. Um, and if you went for that super duper premium subscription, you get the Mac app as a part of that. So, right. Um, it's, it's good to see uh, them rebounding well. Um, though I don't know finances, like, if, if it's well or if they're panicking just as much as most people are uh, when yeah. things don't go well. So, we'll see. Yep. It's, um, I mean, in Krishnit's case, like, I think it's just him working on it. Like, it's not Mm -hmm. a team at all. So, uh, I mean, absolute worst case, if, like, you know, he has to shut down Apollo, I'm sure his skill set is amazing and can find a job. But, like, that's probably not what he wants. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. if he's been indie so long, hopefully he can find another app to work on personally. Or, you know, I mean, absolute worst case, if he has to get a job somewhere, I'm sure someone would snatch him up. But it's still just a bummer for him and a bummer for everyone that uses it regularly. Yeah. And a reminder to anyone who is doing indie work, make sure you have a proper business to work behind. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because what is likely going to happen is he's going to need to do the same thing that uh, the Twitter apps did and start refunding people for subscriptions. Um, yeah. And if he is working under like his own name, uh, then he is liable for those payments, and uh, he can't just declare bankruptcy under the business um, right. to fail to to make that up. Um, because likely he doesn't have like a huge amount sitting in the bank ready for uh, for cancellation requests. Right? Uh, that was that was padding for him. Uh, as as uh, the only developer working on this. So um, just a reminder to anyone who is kind of uh, in this process, make sure to get a proper business license. Make sure to have a proper business. Make sure your business protects you, the person working for that business or that owns the business from uh, anything that the business is doing because it is very easy for that to kind of leak into your personal life um, mm-hmm. and potentially ruin it. So um, just putting that out there as a general reminder, uh, if you are doing indie development, it's great that you have an Apple developer account uh, in your name and you have your name in the thing. Just make sure there's a business backing that name. Yeah. Um, even if it's named after you, uh, like your name LLC, that's, that's <laughs> fine. Just have right. that. Uh, yeah. Whether it's an LLC, whether it's a corporation, like have something that can act as a buffer. Um, and we're not lawyers, so we cannot help you with that. Uh, but we can encourage you to kind of look into it. Yeah. Not legal advice, but legal encouragement. 
<laughs> it's legal advice from people who don't know the law. Let's put it that <laughs> way. <There you> go. <laughs> uh, talking about legal advice from... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it seems that uh, Apple has as much trouble uh, deciding which platform to put things on than every other uh, business out there uh, because they have decided to put Apple Classical. Um, I always almost read that as Apple Classical. Uh, yeah, I Apple, know. <laughs> Apple Classical. Uh, we are for, forever burdened by Classical on this podcast. That's right. Uh, since episode one. Uh, but Apple Classical uh, is launching on Android before uh, the Mac and even the iPad, which I find hilarious in a way. Yeah, it's interesting. I, so one thing I didn't know is that uh, I guess the Apple Classical uh, app is based on a service that they bought called or a company they bought called Prime Phonics. So I, I, I didn't realize that. So maybe there was already a uh, an Android app for that. And they're just reskinning it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not sure. I imagine they're using their Apple Music app as a base as well, because they have Apple Music on Android as well. They do, yeah. So I imagine they probably base it off of that, just like they based mm-hmm. it off of Apple Music for iOS. Um, but yeah, it's it's very interesting that uh, Apple, with all of its shortcuts that it's claiming for developers, uh, is not making use of any of those uh, when yeah. it comes to... Uh, making this available for, um, for other platforms or other of their platforms, right? It should have been so. Just easy check the for box. Them. You just yeah. check the box. Um, yeah. On, on the note of that, it seems like uh, Final Cut Pro and Logic Pro that did launch on iPad. Uh, Logic Pro is a Swift UI app with UI. Oh, very bits, cool. Um, versus no, sorry, I got that wrong. Uh, Logic Pro is a UI kit app with Swift UI bits. Um, and okay. then Final Cut Pro is a Swift UI app with UI kit bits. That's um, cool. And I didn't know uh, that. that kind of, I think it was Stephen Trotman Smith, uh, Steve Trotman Smith, who, who dug this up. But uh, basically, uh, it kind of indicates which app has been in the works longer, uh, namely Logic Pro sure. uh, has been in the works much longer and is much more mature. Um, mm-hmm. in its code base and the fact that you can transfer file files readily and things like that versus Final Cut Pro is kind of a new file format specific right. to the iPad and it's simpler um, as a result. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it's interesting, interesting to see uh, this. But, yeah, uh, that checkbox turns out it's not as simple uh, that Apple, it, Apple. Apple wanted to believe. And it's good that they are kind of experiencing that right because yeah. as they experience that that's when they will go ahead and improve it for their own apps and for other people's apps right um mm-hmm. when they just kind of make an api and they don't use it themselves you kind of wonder well like what how are we supposed to use this api it's not super well thought out right yeah definitely as yeah I, yeah as someone tasked with trying to work with checking the box for for LumaFusion, it definitely was not uh, plug and play. It was not just checking the box. There was tons of work to get it to be, you know, even remotely like a native-ish Mac app. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, even Ivory. Uh, Ivory is a Catalyst app, if you didn't know. Unlike uh, Tweetbot, which I believe was an AppKit app. Um, and as a result of that, like, text completions don't work 
Um, so I have a whole bunch of funky text completions for all the various smiley faces uh, that oh. we have as emoji. Um, and none of those completions work in Ivory, which makes me sad. So I'm always like opening up a uh, spotlight to type them there and then copy paste them, which oh, I'm already yeah. used to, mind you, because Slack has uh, piss poor uh, completion support as well. <laughs> and that is uh, neither a Mac app nor a Catalyst app. Um, so uh, that's that's that. Uh, another fun fact about Slack, if you have an incorrectly spelled word, which I have frequently because I am dyslexic and can't spell for my life. Um, if you try to get a spelling correction, it's just not going to give you good results. And sometimes it just picks a few of the results that could have been. Um, and that is also mind-bogglingly silly. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, thanks, Electron. Thanks, Electron. And thanks, Catalyst, for not doing this properly either. Come on, Apple. Um, yeah, for real. AppKit really did an amazing job at just like making so many things feel magical. Like, that was the whole draw with Cocoa Apps, right, versus Carbon Apps. Is sure, you don't have everything from Carbon, but look at all the magic that Cocoa Apps give you. Yeah. Um, and you got that from day one on Mac OS X. Uh, and, like, now, tons of years later, uh, we have a crazy bloated app kit that has no documentation and no specialized <laughs> yeah. knowledge in order to, like, share with the next generation. So you either know it very well or you're just lost. Uh, in terms of like customizing it the way you want. Sure, you can build a simple UI, but if you want to customize it to like have some polish, good luck. Um, and now we have different APIs like Swift UI, Core Animation, uh, and Catalyst uh, that are basically all based off Core Animation. Um, and uh, those work differently from AppKit, uh, tremendously differently, um, but they don't have that same magic that AppKit brought to the table. Um, and that's that's the big shame uh, with all of these transitions. Like if it's all kind of merging into one one new framework, that's fine. But like, don't leave out basic functionality that every Mac user is like depending on, right? Uh, in the process. Yeah, uh, it reminds me of last week. I can't remember exactly what the what it was, but you know, the one of the I can't remember if it was a tweet or, or a toot or whatever, but it listed like six different ways to m deal with a 3D object and like the same, like the same math from like six different APIs. It's yeah. Like really cohesive. It, it was with that new framework that we were talking about. Um, yeah. And I already forgot what that framework was, uh, but uh, that's, that's, that's the Apple spatial. of now. Yeah. Spatial dot framework. Yeah. Uh, that's the apple of now, right? It's, we have yep. lots of ways of doing something and none of them are uh, the de facto way. And that's confusing to say the least. Like, fine, deprecate all these old things. You, you're great at deprecating stuff. You keep them around. Um, like, no, no qualms with that. But if you're going to introduce the same thing 17 times, at least yeah. have some consistency there, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Anyways, talking about changes and deprecations, uh, WK WebViews are not deprecated, thank goodness. Uh, but on iOS, they are no longer inspectable by default. So it's kind of like a PSA if you've ever used that functionality um, and you're developing an, an, an iOS app and you have a WK WebView for whatever reason, login, this or that, uh, mm -hmm. and you plug in your phone to your Mac or you enable developer mode or what have you. Uh, in Safari, you can go to the develop menu and inspect that view. It just shows up there, and it's really magical and cool. That's cool. 
but you now have to opt into that, uh, which is probably a good thing from a security point of view, probably more from a DRM point of view than a security point of view, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's something to consider. That's cool. Uh, to be honest, I didn't even, um, know that you could inspect a web view through your phone through Safari. That's cool. Yeah. Through your Mac Safari. Yeah. Uh, and in better news, uh, we talked a few weeks ago about how Apple, uh, went and, uh, implemented a very interesting feature on Apple TV, uh, where if a show has like a strobe effect, uh, the the player itself, so the, the tvOS operating system, can go ahead and detect that ahead of time, uh, mute it down so that way it's not uh, like it doesn't trigger anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so there's like two parts. There's the detection and then there's the correction for it. Um, and they seem to have open sourced this. Um, as just a GitHub repo that you can go ahead and uh, take that code and implement it in your own uh, in your own like render pathways, which is really really cool. Uh, they have implementations, I think, in uh, a few different uh, languages, namely uh, MATLAB, Mathematica, mm-hmm. and Xcode, uh, which is kind of wild that it's available in those other two. Uh, yeah. But that's what researchers <laughs> use, so that's what it's available in. Um, but yeah, really, really cool that this is available, uh, for anyone to use. Yeah, that's super cool of Apple to do for sure. Um, something I thought was interesting is like the readme is super small, but it says, um, purveyors of media content might want to detect the amount of flashing lights in video content in order to perform or sorry, inform consumers of the media of, you know, the risk. So like an easy, I don't know. I mean, you know, you see those, um, those warnings at the start of a show or in a YouTube video, like, you know, contains whatever flashing lights be, mm-hmm. you know, be cool to have that be automatic or even say, or have some functionality to say like, skip this part or whatever. So that's cool that they're open sourcing it. That's um, yeah. Good yeah. It gives Apple. people the options to do that. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. They could, they could just let the TV player, if they don't pull a, a max, Oh God, there's so many maxes. Uh, the, the HBO Max, uh, which I still haven't mm. downloaded. I guess, oh well, HBO. Um, I am never going to download your new app, and I'm no longer thinking about you. Sorry, last week tonight. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's unless you pull them and like rewrite your own player, uh, mm-hmm. then you get this for free, right? As a part of yeah, TVOS. That's sweet. So uh, that's one thing to consider. But if you do want to do additional processing. Uh, and have a lot more control over things, maybe not even on tvOS, right? On the Mac app, yeah. on a Mac app or something. Uh, this is like tooling for you to make use of that. So that's really, really cool. Yep. Um, another public service announcement, uh, this time brought to light by Michael Tsai. Uh, receipt validation signatures are being upgraded to SHA-256. Uh, so if you are... Checking receipts yourself uh, and you're validating those signatures, which you should do, uh, then you need to update your code because signatures after a certain date are going to have a different um, mm. a different uh, coding uh, hash algorithm uh, that is used. So just something to note. Uh, 
Um, I wanted to ask you, I, I don't know. Did you ever like jailbreak your phone like back in the day? Oh, back in the day. I did once. Uh, and as a result, I had something running on my Mac that prevented uh, me from updating a non jailbroken phone like months later. Uh, uh, and like I had to I had to do shenanigans uh, to get that thing oh. to update because it like got semi locked into a DFU state and it was not happy. Um, gotcha. So yes, I have jailbroken my phone uh, like once or twice, I think pre iPhone 4S. So yeah, probably iPhone 4 ish uh-huh. days. Um, and I have uh, always regretted uh, doing any amount of customization to any of the things I use for I, work. Um, yeah. And that was fair. one of the cases. <laughs> that makes sense. So yes, back also I had an iPhone 4. That was actually my first iPhone was an iPhone 4. Uh back in high school, uh you know, when I had no money and didn't want to pay for things, uh you could crack iPhone apps and I think it just cracked the the receipt or the certificate or something. Um so I guess my question is is it because people weren't validating the receipts or is it because like the uh the algorithm wasn't as secure and it could just be brute force. Do you know? Most definitely people weren't validating receipts. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it can be brute forced, uh, and it takes a very long time, uh, but it's on like a case by case basis and definitely not for every app you want to just willy nilly okay. install. Um, yeah. so that Probably would just be no validation. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. And yeah, that's not so much a thing anymore, but it yeah. is something to consider. Uh, this is more for the cases where, uh, yeah, I guess it's just jailbroken, right? Yeah, I don't know. Do people still jailbreak their phones? I haven't done it in like since high school. But I think if you if you have an older phone, you can still do it. If you don't, then it's kind of hard. Um, okay, but yeah, that's... I mean, probably not a bad idea to just update the you know it to be more safe. So. Mm-hmm. The the receipt validation that is. Yep. This week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Weekly Swift Exercises. Learning Swift, there's no substitute for practicing. There's dozens, literally dozens of people Fernando has mentored through different programs, and he's seen it time and time again. After you learn the basics of programming, you slow down because learning through experience is demanding and painful. Increasing your confidence is key, and there's an easy way to do it. Practice. Fernando's weekly exercises help you practice concepts like closures and protocols while implementing actual features like dark mode. It's free to join. Besides the exercises, Fernando sends one or two articles about learning Swift. Some are technical in nature, but most of them will help you in your career by teaching you things like practice, working as a team, and getting ready for your first job. Thanks again to Fernando and Weekly Swift Exercises for sponsoring Code Completion. Go to twitter.com slash swift exercises to learn more. Uh, so Spencer, um, I have a code completion tip for you, uh, right. and this is one that I learned very recently. It's the Mirror API. The Mirror API in my head fell in the Black Magic bucket of Swift. Like, yes, <laughs> uh, it, it's available, and you'll probably never need to reach for it, kind of thing. Uh, however, um, in, uh, in recent developments, I have been working on something on the on the side. Uh, and I may or may not talk about it anytime soon, uh, but I needed to reach for the mirror API. Um, mm-hmm. And this was to inspect what properties a type had um, and like what those, uh, what the types of those properties were. Uh, so uh, using the mirror API, I'm happy to report is very, very easy. 
you just say mirror reflecting and then you pass an object uh, to, to there. Um, and it will go ahead and uh, figure out what, pro- what properties that object has, um, whether it's a struct, like an enum, uh, this or that. Um, and you just can iterate over the children of that of that mirror, um, and it will just give you that information. You can go deeper and deeper if you want, um, or you can stop there. It's exactly what uh, Swift Playground uses to kind of give you breakdowns, uh-huh. or when you print, uh, it gives you like a breakdown of an object. That's what this mirror API does. Um, so uh, I thought it was really, really cool. Um, and yeah, definitely go check it out. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. So I was going to ask, and maybe it already does this uh, with the like debug descriptions, but like, I guess you could um, use mirror to build out like a custom debug description fairly easy and like not having to maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't use mirror to make a description yourself. You would just kind of print yourself uh, and it will do that for you. Uh, you might use mirror if you need to introspect properties at runtime, uh, which is what uh, I needed to do it for. Um, and you can use custom reflectable to customize what properties get sent to mirror. So for instance, array, instead of giving you its instance variables, which are not very interesting, mm-hmm. it will go ahead and give back all of the objects in that array as an array. And those would be the children. Uh, same okay. with dictionary. Um, instead of just giving you like, here's a buffer to memory, which is not yeah. useful. Um, okay. So that's, that's what custom reflectable does. Um, and I can, I can leave a link to that as well. Uh, because I think, uh, um, NS hipster has a good article to that. Cool. I, I was checking out NS hipster today. It seems like they haven't updated anything since like 2020. They have not. That's a bummer. Um, I think Matt has I like NS hipster. Uh, and I, I say Matatata with love because the guy's name yes. has three T's on it. Um, yeah. But I think he's moved on to other things um, oh, gotcha. rather than writing. But yeah, NSFSR remains a great resource yes. uh, to this day, uh, even though it is, has not been updated recently. Yeah. Um, so now for the most exciting part of the show... Our mini review. I'm just kidding. There's no mini review corner this week. There's WWDC prediction time. Um, and uh, I thought we might split it up into uh, three-ish sections. Services, software, and hardware. Uh, and the order of excitement that we have for all of those things. Um, okay. So uh, let's, let's go through each section uh, and kind of give our predictions. Uh, uh, I have three predictions for services. Uh, do you have any? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, I was trying to think of any services. I can't really. Yeah, no. Let's let's hear yours though. Okay, so uh, the first one I have uh, is an increased iCloud quota. Uh, currently, oh, okay. it's two terabytes. Um, you can upgrade that to four if you're an Apple One, and you also buy two terabytes. Right. Uh, if you're an Apple One Premium something something subscriber. Uh, yeah. So that gets you a four. Um, I have very recently passed the 2.1 terabyte uh, wow. threshold. Uh, and this is because my photo album is now filled with baby pictures uh, <laughs> yes, and videos. <laughs> uh, so now not only just cats, but cats and babies. Uh, and that is really ballooning 
the size of my photo uh, library. Mm-hmm. So uh, I am more hoping <laughs> than uh, like correctly <laughs> hypothesizing and predicting uh, that Apple will uh, increase iCloud photos. Uh, but I think it's about time that they think about mm-hmm. increasing iCloud photos. I think that would be like a good thing to do. I could see like a, a five or maybe a 10 terabyte uh, tier, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, it would kind of make sense. It got me thinking when you said you had all the photos. Now we're dealing with 48 megapixel uh, photos. So they're like four times larger kind of makes sense to to up the quota uh i can definitely see that being, yeah yeah i didn't even yeah. think of that um aspect of it i was just thinking like, they're like 90 megabytes a piece or something i mean they're very large photos now mm-hmm. yeah that's that's a good point and because it just takes a handful of those to really fill up uh your storage and we tend to take a lot of pictures nowadays um yeah. and, well, you know not just 4K, nowadays 60, the yeah. our cameras are better and better is my point uh, so yep. we rely on them more and more. Um, ProRes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so d- definitely hoping for that one. So that's that's the number one. Okay. Uh, the number two, and this one's kind of like out of left field, um, but it may be, it may be something that, that happens with the third thing that I'm about to propose, but let's stick to the second one. Uh, app okay. subscriptions, uh, kind of like Apple Arcade, uh, where... Uh, instead of dealing with uh, needing to subscribe to all these individual apps, uh, especially uh-huh. for smaller ones that don't necessarily have ongoing uh, service components to them, uh, it could be a great way of uh, making sure that app developers get like paid and they get exposure by having like a specific section of app review carved out uh, for just that. Um, and you can kind of subscribe to all these apps, ad free, subscription free, and just use them, right? Uh, this is the plus version of those apps. I hope Apple uh, improves App Store Connect so they don't need to do that. Uh, and yeah. you can just have an app on both. Uh, but yeah, I think that would be a really, really cool thing uh, that could be made available. Like I would subscribe to that uh, immediately, probably because I have Apple One. Uh, but if I don't yeah. have, if I didn't have Apple One, that could be a great way of essentially making sure that uh, a bunch of small app developers they can continue to do great work and uh, get paid in the process, right? Mm-hmm. So, are are you saying it would be like a compilation of a bunch of apps from a bunch of app developers, or are you saying it's more like the affinity approach? Uh, where it's like you you buy the thing and you get all the affinity apps. I would but it's say like for the company. I would say it's it's not it's a bunch of different developers, kind of like um, okay. there's there's one for the Mac, uh, and mm. I'm I'm forgetting what it's, it's like called Set App or something. Yeah, yeah, it's a horrible name, but they yeah. apparently do good work. Um, so I'm not going to bash them for that. Uh, but uh, that essentially is a yeah. one subscription you pay for, and you can use any one of all those apps. Those apps. Um, and it's kind of banking on the fact that, hey, you're a single person. You're not capable of using all these apps <laughs> at once. Uh, and yeah. therefore, it's like a fair it's a fair trade off. Right. The amount of time you spend in one of these apps versus another, that's how much that app developer will get paid as a result of that. Um, so this can be, be something cool. similar uh, directly from Apple. Um, so like a, a 
I don't know, productivity group. And so you get like a PDF reader and like a bunch of other stuff that's like in the same realm-ish. type. I'm not even talking about group. I'm just talking about like as a whole. You subscribe oh, okay. to this thing. Any developers that are part of that thing, you can download their apps and use them. No, no extra. Cool. Uh, so I guess it would just be like you're saying. It, it's just based off time about how how much they get paid from the subscription. Again, maybe less about time and more about like what kind of app it is because time is uh, a hard thing Fair. to pin down. If it's an alarm app, you never use it. You never open it, but you're constantly using it, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that's that's something that's a little bit harder to kind of nail down. Uh, but I think uh, Apple Arcade has that nuance built in, right? There are app, there are games that suck up a bunch of your time, um, and then there are games that are quick and to the point. Uh, and both of those are kind of hopefully we have no idea how our Apple Arcade works, yeah. but they're hopefully weighed uh, appropriately such that um, it's not time based; it's kind of like value based. Um, mm-hmm. Like okay. w- w- how much value is the user getting out of this? Uh, and use that as a weight across multiple things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's up to Apple to figure out with individual developers what kind of makes sense and what's the right uh, yeah. that, what's the right that's... balance there. Um, so instead of that for games, that for apps is essentially cool. what I'm suggesting. Um, okay. And this can allow Apple to do all sorts of interesting things, like be much more uh, stringent on app review, for instance, and make sure that there aren't 17 fart apps in there um, yeah. and that there aren't any fart apps in there, right? That's that's yeah. something that Apple can do, and they can kind of pride themselves on making sure that it's just the cream of the crop in there, uh, and, and the rest of the app store, who knows? Yeah. If the listeners can't tell, I think we just really want some app store reform. We have shot so many ideas <laughs> over like the last two or three years, man. Something's got to change. I think that'd be a, a really cool idea. So I guess that's number three, App Store overall. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I was sharing I was sharing this beauty with Spencer, and if you're listening to the podcast rather than watching it, uh, which most people do, uh, this is the app review guidelines, the comic book uh, shared at WWDC 16. Uh, this is nice. edition number one of one. They never made a number two or three uh, that I know of. Um, and it's basically a comic book. So I can, I can show you. Uh, but the comic bubbles are just the app review guidelines, like verbatim. Um, so <laughs> this awesome, guy dude. is saying, the lists below are not exhaustive and your submission may trigger a change or update to our process policies. But here are some additional do's and don'ts to keep in mind. And then this other guy is thinking to himself, one, displaying your own apps for purchase or promotion within your app, provided the app is not merely a catalog of your apps. And he's he's giving this dude a haircut, by the way, uh, to give you some some visuals. Nice. Uh, yes. So uh, there, are, there are five comics in this. There's uh, safety, there's uh, performance or performance uh, in Japanese underneath it. Uh, there's business, uh, design, and legal. Um and oh, legal sounds so fun. Uh, legal's in black and white, and it's kind of like a, a noir oh, aesthetic. A noir, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so, that's cool. Um, yeah, they're, they're all in different styles. The art is amazing. Uh, the text obviously does not match up with anything, uh, so it, it does make you think about how on earth they put this together. Uh, but 
Uh, I am proposing, I want to throw this, but I think it's something worth keeping in good condition. I was about to throw it over my shoulder. Um, crazy YouTuber style, which we're not. Uh, but yeah, App Store is probably going to get an overhaul in no uh, reason due to the EU and many other no, countries no, uh, getting very upset at Apple and Apple needing to make a change, right? Um, so that's that's number three. I think it falls under services. Uh, they definitely so. categorize it on, on their uh, on their earnings. Uh, they're going to talk about how much Apple is paying developers and all that and um, all that. So, yeah, if Apple wants to pay developers, then I think they should do it via an app subscription thing like Apple Arcade. Then that is Apple paying developers. They're entering into individual contracts and making making things good and being uh, very, very cutthroat about it. Uh, for everything else, I think Apple should kind of loosen the Shut floodgates out. because they're already yeah. doing a bad job at making sure bad stuff doesn't appear on there. Um, and I think that's going to be the way to do it. I, <clears throat> I'm i so hopeful that that happens. I, I don't know if it will happen. But yeah, you're right. Something has to change with the EU stuff. So I, I just hope they're not like, oh, yep, this only works in the EU. Sorry you know, all of their, whatever their changes end up being. I don't know. Yeah. And to be clear, like I have no plans on distributing, uh, any iOS app outside of the app store. Like that's, it's yeah. not for me. Um, and, uh, it most definitely is for Facebook. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Apple still has one final chance to kind of subvert these problems by like opening something significantly and closing off something else. So this is an opportunity yep. to do both at once. Right. Uh, have their cake and eat it too kind of thing um, and uh, if if they do get to the point where they need to like go all in on, on side loading that's that's going to be something they need to do right yep. um, but only Apple can prevent that uh, they have the means they just have the greed that's preventing it I would say I really don't know yeah no I 100% agree yeah um, so th- those were uh, my predictions for services. Um, I will see. I hope it's not another 20 minutes of Apple Music because that's what happened one WWDC. Oh gosh, and yes. I was literally falling asleep during that because I stayed up all night like an idiot. Um, <laughs> did I learn that the next year I should not stay up all night? No, I did not. Uh, I have stayed up all night for most WWDCs that were in person. Uh, and I had a great fun doing that. Uh, but yeah. yeah, the Apple Music part segment did put me to sleep quite literally uh, no doubt. in a giant auditorium where loud music was blasting to give you an idea of how interested I was. Um, so uh, yeah, these are a little more closely relevant to, to me uh, and uh, looking forward to some of them, uh, hopefully. Um, yeah. uh, but with that on to something a little more interesting to us, uh, software. Uh, what do you have, Spencer? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And say there's going to be a new version of iOS, a new version of macOS. You think? Uh, two operating systems? Two. Two. Just Even two? iPadOS, probably, and maybe Three? even TVOS. I know. Four? Oh, don't forget watchOS, man. Oh my Come gosh. on. Five operating systems? Apple, how can but you But really, this? we may get XROS, or Bros, as it is sometimes <laughs> called, depending on your phone. This is my computer, by the way. <laughs> Oh, your your computer. Sorry. Um, 
Okay, so let's. I, I wanted to talk about the the actual. I guess you could call it announcement page or uh, event page for Dub Dub. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting uh, tagline. I can't remember what the last one was. It was all right, um, but this one it says "Code New Worlds." So that's like. Uh, I know that kind of got me thinking. Like, are we are we entering this whatever mixed reality, whatever it ends up being? Uh, I, I thought the tagline was interesting. And so uh, along with hardware, which we will get to, uh, there could be a completely new operating system for a completely new device. So you think that this is not going to, to get into the nitty gritty here, uh, you think that this is not going to be an offshoot of iOS like iPadOS basically is. Um, This is going to be a different operating system uh, entirely. It's not going to be like, you have an iOS app, and uh, that's also I, an iPad app at the same time. This is going to be, I mean, you submit something different to App Store Connect. I would say so. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I'm not really in like the AR, VR scene or anything, but I can't really see how you could easily adapt a an iOS app that's meant for touches to something that you wear on your face. I mean, I'm sure there will be hand interaction, but it would be weird to like be going like this in front of you all the time. You know what I mean? I don't know. I I think it's going to be something new. Uh, Yeah. Whatever that ends up being, not sure, but yeah, I think it'll be a new OS. Interesting. Um, To, to be clear to everyone, uh, this is our not absolutely or not our first WWDC rodeo. We know for sure that the taglines have no correlation yeah, uh, no, to what yeah. actually gets announced. Uh, because I mean, that's never, yeah. It's that's never, never been it the case and it never nope. will um, because yep. those teams work in silos and for a reason. So that way they don't influence each other uh, and, and leak stuff unexpectedly. But uh, yeah, the tagline is always a fun little uh, thing and people always have fun with the artwork is like, Oh, this has new artwork. We're going to see goggles this year. Do you remember yeah. that one? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we just had some pretty looking artwork that we never got to see the yeah. reality but, of. But, okay, okay, counterpoint. If you go onto Safari and you go to this webpage on your phone, you can view the logo in AR. Man, they're they're hinting at something there, you know? It's happening at Apple Park. <laughs> <laughs> what? No way! And it tells you the date and everything. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I guess I'll go next. Uh, (laughs) As I have heavily predicted many times before, I think we're definitely going to see new features coming to Swift, namely Swift macros and variadic generics. I think this is the time that we are going to see a lot of that, uh, just like we saw a lot of Swift concurrency when that got announced a few years back. Um, So I think it was just last year, right? It was not... Not last the year before last year that it got announced. Yes, I think. Yeah, so. um, and we basically got to watch it be developed up until that announcement. So I think <laughs> yeah. we're going to see the same thing with Swift macros, uh, maybe observability, uh, which uses them, uh, and variadic generics um, that is going to be part of the sessions. Um, and they'll probably show off the variadic generics as like, "Hey, Swift UI, you no longer limited to ten views." Hurrah! Yeah. Loud exactly. applause. <laughs> Uh, that's what's going to get everyone. Uh, and it's all thanks to those very added generics, uh, everyone. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, uh, that's that's my number one. Uh, nice. That's that's my first pick for software. What else do you have? Nice. Uh, 
I um kind of in a similar vein. I I think I said this last year, and I can't really remember if it actually happened. Uh, but I would love for just um more improvements in Swift UI in general, just to make it a little bit I don't know nicer to deal. Like very out of generic thing would be sweet, but I'm talking like more like uh, a native map view or something like that. Like just adding to the feature set of of Swift UI in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, similarly to that, I had, and just building on this one, uh, I had SwiftUI revamped on macOS because it seems mm. like people that love SwiftUI have the most trouble with it on macOS uh, because it works really, really well on watchOS, which it was built for. Um, yep. It works mostly well for iOS, which most of uh, the energy went into, right? Uh, but then it kind of falls apart on macOS because yeah. uh, it's just kind of like checking a checkbox and then moving away from that. Uh, and Apple learned that the hard way, building shortcuts and things like that. Um, or settings. Oh boy, settings. Um, uh, I, I, I'm <laughs> not going to make a prediction settings. with settings unless Spencer has one. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, SwiftUI has some problems on macOS. Yeah. And uh, this is an excellent avenue for Apple to tell people and reassure them that they have doubled down. They've learned from yeah. the past year because it took them a year to make a new OS update uh, to fix the settings app. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's my my addition to that. Yeah, that's good. I It's just so funny how I feel like macOS is just left to the wayside because iOS is the, the money earner. I don't know. It's, it's First comes iOS, then Android, as we own. Uh, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Watch, the next one will be uh, tvOS. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. macOS is always last. It's so weird, dude. Um, I don't have any other software uh, updates. I mean, like, I guess we'll probably get Swift 5.9 or whatever. Um as a release with the new version of Xcode there. I saw that there was a release candidate. I don't assume that's going to be what's, you know, actually, yeah. It's, no, it's just that's a point just, one release. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So I have, a, I have a few more for software. Uh, okay. Some on device, large language model. So that means oh, that cool. instead of relying on open AI for much more limited tasks, maybe we can have something on device. Maybe it doesn't talk back to us, right? Maybe it's just capable of uh, a much more limited uh, vocabulary of actions, right? But if that's something that uh, a developer can fine-tune for their app, then that is something that can be super powerful. Namely, hey, I want a home screen. And I think ATP brought this up and and, uh, and kind of of saw the, the thought experiment to to its ultimate conclusion, but it's like, Hey, if I have uh, a home screen, can you like add these widgets to it? Um, and it mm-hmm. would just take natural human speech and make a home screen with those widgets. Um, so that's the sort That'd of thing cool. that could be really, really cool and definitely possible, right? It doesn't need uh, to be on the level of chat GPT to pull that off, especially if it's sure. not kind of talking back to you. Uh, and doing that sort of thing. In fact, it might not even be a large language model uh, in that case. It's just a standard machine learning model uh, that mm-hmm. just uses uh, English text as input and then will go ahead and have an output, much like standard diffusion. You type English mm-hmm. and you get an image. 
well, this would be you type English and you get a widget layout, right? Something that right. can be trained um, is doable on device. Big standard diffusion is doable on device um, and yeah. doesn't need to like uh, mimic humans um, at all. So uh, I think on some version of that on device for some version of Apple's own apps is something that we might see. Um an improved Siri in the cloud that's based on an actual uh-huh. large language model, um, that would be amazing, right? Siri, we kind of all uh, yeah. see it as uh, something that has problems, uh, is incapable of kind of doing basic things. Um, large language models maybe are not the solution to that, right? Because they kind of yeah. will will uh, exponentially make worse what you're asking for if you're just asking for simple things, right? Um, But um, a revamped Siri is definitely something that we need. And we've heard lots and lots of rumors um, that we haven't even talked about much on the show uh, that maybe that's getting a revamp. um, And that'd be really cool to see at this year. Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, like Siri is... Yeah, well, I don't really think there's really any good, like, voice assistant. I don't know. Maybe Google Assistant's good. But, like, I don't think any, you know, any on-phone voice assistant is that great. So I can definitely see something like a a large language model juicing that up. I think, you know, just from messing with chat GPT, there would definitely have to be, like, filters uh attached to what it could do or limitations i don't know you know it can hallucinate and get us into some interesting stuff yeah but it's not so much that like i don't think a large language model is the solution here because just because chat gpt tells you that it's doing something doesn't mean that's happening in fact it's not we would need to have uh, a special way of uh hooking up the output to do something that on the user's yeah. device. Uh, and that's what Siri is good at for the limitations True. that it can do, right? Um, so it would just have to synthesize an intent, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll yeah, see. Maybe sense. maybe it's going to happen, maybe not. Uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine that they're not working on something like that. I mean... Just maybe not this year? I No, I don't know, honestly. But just thinking back to... All of the, um, I, I always forget what they're called, but in Apple Silicon, there are like ML cores, right? Mm-hmm. They're doing, you know, trillions of operations per second or whatever it is. Um, so I can't imagine that Apple Silicon isn't already sort of, whether it's, I mean, if they were going to do something on device that it would probably be capable of doing that in, in mm-hmm. semi-ish real time or whatever. So well, you, you just cool. need trillions of bytes of RAM to hold the large language model. That's the problem. Well, yeah. Yeah, I know. And, and that's why I see that you, you know, said like something in the cloud as well for like an actual large language model. But like the the ML, um, uh, the model for, you know, doing something simpler. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's crazy that you can do stable diffusion on an iPhone. It takes forever uh, compared to a computer, but yeah, it's definitely possible. And that's super cool. Be fun to have something like that. Uh, I don't know how Apple would incorporate it <laughs> in the notes app or something, uh, but it'd be fun to have something like stable diffusion just built in. Definitely. Um, next on my software list, I have Xcode for iPad with no notes. Uh, just, uh, that would we be, we can keep hoping every uh, year. Yeah. Uh, something a little bit more than some playgrounds, um, mm-hmm. that we kind of have, 
Um, I think Xcode for iPad, though, has a ramification um, that Apple has kind of learned is that we need uh, we need a way for pro apps on the Mac to kind of find their way onto the iPad um, mm-hmm. and forcing them to rewrite is one solution. Like Final Cut Pro did that, right? Um, yep. But having an avenue where something can adapt might be another one, right? Um, so that's something worth considering. I don't know. I don't think we're going to see it. Um, actually, I have to think because it's my prediction. Gosh darn it! Um, so I do think <laughs> we're going to see it, uh, but okay. I, I, it's it's very low confidence yeah. that it's going to happen. So I mean, I can see it being possible, especially now with um, the M series being in an iPad, right? Like if you can run Xcode on an M1 MacBook Air, in theory, you should be able to run it on iPad OS. I don't know if that would come in the form of like only being able to run uh, iPad apps or if it would be something like uh, you could actually, you know, run a simulator on an iPad. I don't know. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah. I, I mean, it has the power in theory to do it. It's the same chip that's in a MacBook Air, so. uh, Possibly with more RAM (laughs) than a Mac, right? That's true, yeah. Better screen, uh, better input device. Same input device in many cases. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's there's no excuse at this point uh, that we It's just a software thing. It's just a software thing. It's a decision that Apple has made. It's not even an architectural thing, I would say, at this point. Um, It's it's purely... Uh, they decide not to do it, so it didn't happen yet. Um, I think that there's motivation for it to happen, especially if you can just pick up an iPad and plug it into a monitor, right? Um, yeah, dude. Can you imagine, though? Like, I mean, some I, I don't know how common it is now, but, like, my high school had, you know, whatever it was, like an iPad 3 or whatever. Uh, if you could just have an iPad and, like, have and, and that be the uh the device for whatever your programming class in high school was i don't know i think that would be like a good um i guess incentive for schools to buy ipads over like chromebooks or something Mm -hmm. and heck it might be something limited to the ipad pros and then that's a reason to get an ipad pro over a regular ipad because currently there's no freaking reason um to to go but for the, one or the, the other. the liquid Retina XDR display, Dimitri, the fifteen hundred yeah, nits, man. Definitely, yeah. I'd like to sear my eyeballs out, please. Yeah. Um, but searing eyeballs aside, like I, I do think that uh, there is, there would be good use out of this, right? Namely, yeah. uh, your entire developer audience would instantly buy iPads uh, for their own use for once, yep. uh, because a lot of them don't. Like I use an iPad daily to to read and to watch YouTube. That is what I do on an iPad. That's uh, what a tablet is. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very sad that I can't do anything else because everything is kind of in this miserable mixture of like full screen slash. I still didn't try Stage Manager. Um, I just yeah, I haven't stories. either. I haven't found where to turn it on, uh, and I haven't gone looking for the first time. Uh, so I'm just waiting for it to naturally exist. Um, and, and it that's hasn't. like. That's like the sad part, unless you're doing something like using Final Cut Pro or Logic or or like a pro level app on Which the iPad. Don't support Stage Manager. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> My point is, 
like when are you going to use the full capability of the M2 in an iPad Pro? Like most people just use it to watch YouTube and read. But Spencer, and this app is severely under optimized and it needs the full M2 to load its data. Okay, well that's playlist. that's a different story, but <laughs> hey. The uh, perfect world. Yeah. So uh, I have one more uh, prediction, okay. uh, and that is this is the year we're going to see a Swifty replacement for Core Data. And I say that as someone Ooh. who is writing a Swifty replacement for Core Data as a secret side project uh, that I'm not going to give any more details to. Uh, but that, So are you just like wanting to be Sherlocked? No, I just think I'm going to be Sherlocked for the fact that I decided to uh, do this. Um, I see. So... Uh, you have me to thank when a Swifty version of Core mm-hmm. Data comes out. Um, I'm still going to continue my version because I think that the Swifty version of Core Data uh, is going to uh, still be built on Core Data and not going to be something that I am interested in using. Um, Probably. So this this is something that uh, I I will still have a particular use for. So, uh, but I do think that it's coming. I think that it has had to come for. A number of years at this point right yeah so you're saying like i guess just an abstraction layer over core data um to make it more easy i guess i would say a re-implementation of the front end for core data uh-huh okay so instead of like having confusing confusing uh ideas of what an optional is right um yes that would kind of be all cleaned up um, okay but okay. it would still be the same core data that is compatible the with hood. the existing sure. core data that you've been using. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. The, the, we've had interesting discussions about persistence in the last couple of days. Uh, no, no one really seems to like it very much. So, uh, Oh boy. Um, okay. On to hardware. And I'm going to start us off because I have a feeling that the rest of our items are identical. Um, so I needed to get this one in while it's still unique. Okay. Apple is going to have, along with the other new thing that we're going to talk about a bit, uh-huh. come out with a new mouse that has USB-C, hopefully in a sensible size. <laughs> still going to be on the bottom, dude. You, you can't take the Johnny Ive out of the mouse, dude. Under every seat uh, at WWDC Stadium is going to be a new Apple mouse. That'd be sweet. Um, uh, yeah, it'd be kind of nice though to have new peripherals with just USB C, like a keyboard and, and for me, especially a trackpad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think they're coming. I, it's just a matter of time. Uh, probably, hopefully, I thought they would have come already with the new keyboards that had the, the Touch ID, um, but they mm-hmm. didn't. Um, instead, we got very nice braided uh, lightning cables that my cat chewed yeah. through. Uh, so that's nice. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but yeah, I do think that a new mouse uh, needs to come. I would hope that this one uh, supports Qi charging. Um, be maybe so that's good. the solution. So it still has a USB-C on the bottom when you need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise, just kind of put it on the puck that's on your desk that you usually use for your phone uh, when you're not using it. And it just kind of tops up. Um, that is something I could totally get behind. Of course, yeah. you're not going to be able to use it at the same time as like when the... Yeah, the but bug is it's... not because it's gonna be Apple and people are gonna complain they got that. I don't care. I would say having a, the option to just put it on a puck is way better than not. Oh yeah. Um and just it's like throw a no brainer at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, it's a no brainer. Just put a coil and just, just magnet clunk. Perfect. Yep. Uh MagSafe. 
um, different MagSafe. Uh, that's my number one. Uh, that's my first prediction for new hardware. Nice. That's cool. I would love that as well. Um, yeah. So the obvious one, the headset, right? We'll see. It's going to happen. The tagline, Dimitri, the taglines are always right. I'm just kidding. So, Apple reality headset. That's what they're probably going to call it, right? Um, we, of course, have no idea um, what they're going to yeah. call it, but that's that's the, the name on streets, as people like to say. Uh, it looks like very fancy ski goggles. Um, yeah. Uh, which I guess is better than hunk of black plastic uh, that people would otherwise have put. Uh, that said, you need the hunk of black plastic for the depth, right? To get the lenses working. Right. So we'll see if Apple is actually able to make it all curved. Um, but it would be really cool uh, if, it, if it is. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think they have um, some like fundamental design challenges to overcome. The The most important of which for me is how do you see if you are uh, visually impaired like both of us are? Do they? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the I, version one is not for us, right? Or maybe we have to yeah, clunk it over our glasses. That's the worst, um, dude. Which I it's always so hate while, while skiing is is getting, yes. getting the goggles over the glasses. Uh, and this is made worse by the fact that I do have smart ski goggles from like 20, 2008. I, I was going to say 20 is like 10, but it's even earlier than that. <laughs> nope. they, are, they are really, really old. Uh, and they have a little tiny prism projected screen mm. like way down here under the glasses so i can wear glasses oh. and see in front of me but not see the little prism or bad. like get my glasses like this um like an like an old person reading a reading a book Amazing. Um, yeah this is what i'm reminded of uh or i can just wear contacts while i'm skiing so that's what i've done is i've just worn contacts anytime i ski yeah. Uh, so now every time I get a new glasses prescription, I, I nab those free contacts that they give me and I use nice. them that year when I go skiing. Um, and that's the only time I wear contacts. And they're like, yeah. oh, do you need help putting them on? I was like, no, I will remember maybe <laughs> because I always forget. Contacts are the um, worst, dude. Or my eyes forget. I... My hands know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good so. stuff. Yeah, we'll see. It'll be, uh, I mean, we've talked about it before. I don't know how much new stuff there is to talk about. But. Well, they say the current rumors are saying dual M2, whatever that means. That's um, insane. Dude. Well, I guess that justifies the $3,000 price. Mm-hmm. I mean, 40 bucks per screens. chip, right? Um, yeah. And then you have two 4K by 4K OLED. screens. Yeah. Which, to remind OLED. you, a 4K screen, that's just the vertical, not the horizontal. Yeah. That's more like 2K. Uh, yeah. So this is... Eight times 8K. what a what a 4K display actually is. Yeah, that's um, crazy, dude. That would have to refresh at at least 90, 90 frames yep. per second. Uh, probably just going to go up to 120. Um, Hopefully. Considering Apple's current uh, capabilities with screen refresh. Promotion in yeah. the headset. Yay. Yeah. And foveated rendering. Uh, yep. Which, if which you don't so know, cool. uh, it just renders what you're looking at. Uh, and renders everything else as blurry because it doesn't. <laughs> your eyes don't need it. Um, so if it can update at 120 frames per second, then as your eye scans the screen, it can update the resolution 
while your eye is moving um, and therefore can get away with needing to render uh, a stupid amount of millions of pixels yeah. um, right. to kind of really get a grasp of, of what it's looking at, right? It would be around 32 million pixels. Am I getting that math right? Uh, for, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 Six, yeah. 16 million each. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of pixels. Um, so if that's your app needs to render all those pixels all the time, that's a big deal. If it just needs to do a fraction of them in good quality and the rest of them bad quality, you can get away with a whole lot more. Um, yeah. especially if you want to like show off some good gaming, which is what most people think of when they're thinking of like a VR headset. So Right. Either Apple is not going to talk about gaming or they are, right? It's one of those two yeah. and they have to do it great. So some, along those lines, <clears throat> someone, uh, I think it was on Twitter. I also saw in like a Utah developer Slack channel that uh, the game No Man's Sky just got ported to Mac OS um, and uh, in Steam. Um, and also that it shows that it's like VR capable, but that could just be like, you know, normal VR headset capable. Uh, mm -hmm. But if they're porting it, like uh, the timing is like slightly suspicious. And if it is already VR capable, maybe that's like a, uh, you know, like the Resident Evil that they've been showing off like the last three WWDCs or whatever uh, for the, the Max. Maybe that's like their headline gain for the headset if they do highlight gaming. Yeah, we'll see. Um, yep. Uh, it would definitely be a great game, like experience other worlds. Literally. Yes. Uh -huh. uh, uh, via via this game, uh, just as long as it renders well, right? And, and a yeah. dual M2 might not be enough to render No Man's That's, Sky well. Yeah. I, I hear it's it's very, very demanding. That said, if it only needs to render a little tiny thing that your eyeball's looking at uh, yeah. and the rest can be blurry, then maybe it can get away with doing a great job. Um, yeah, that's... That's what I keep coming back to is like, okay, dual M2s, like the M-series chips, gra like the just the base M-series chips graphics aren't like uh, the GPU. I mean, it doesn't have that many GPU cores, but again, if it is foveated rendering, maybe that makes it just powerful enough. I mean, it does have to crank out, hopefully, like 120 frames per second. So you're at least doubling the intensity, just, you know, resolution aside, so... And maybe you have two M2s, one per eye, right? They just keep yeah. them in sync for the frame display. Uh, yeah. But otherwise, you upload the same textures to both of them and just have a slightly different camera angle uh, yeah. for for that stereoscopic effect. We shall see. We shall see. Okay, uh, next on the hardware list, uh, and this is something that uh, we probably have both been wondering about because we discussed it earlier in the show. New Mac Pro. Um, yeah. is it going to happen? Is it just going to be a Mac studio? We don't know, but, um, I think that they are probably going to call something a Mac pro, whether it's what people have expected Mac pros to look like oh. up until now, or if it's just basically a little chunkier Mac studio, uh, with some different expandability, uh, namely like a PCI express card or two, um, yeah. that doesn't support the things that you think it does, but it does support the, the capture cards and the audio yeah. like thingies, uh, right. not GPUs and not expandable yeah. RAM. Um, so interesting. I uh, I was thinking about that. I don't. I don't know if if 
I guess this is all dependent on if they're doing the headset or not. I don't think they'll do both at the same time. Maybe mm. in November. I don't know. That's that's my take. Is like if the headset is going to be the big hardware launch, I they'll my thing is they'll probably just refresh the Mac Studio and maybe the MacBook Pro, and that's it for now. Oh, so just just refreshes of like existing things. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess that I don't know. Sense. It feels like it would steal the thunder a little bit if they're like, but also the Mac Pro. I don't know. I don't think the Mac Pro is stealing the thunder from anything. It's a cool thing that exists that no one will buy. It's fair. Whereas the VR thing is a cool thing that exists that probably also no one will buy. Um, if it's $3,000, yep. Yep. Um, so uh, I guess uh, before anything is announced, uh, assuming a VR headset is announced and you need to pre-order one now or not get one until December, are you pre-ordering one? No. No. Not if it's $3,000. Okay. Uh, I maybe am. Uh, We will see. It depends on eyesight compatibility. Yeah, Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I will likely pre-order and then cancel if eyesight compatibility is problematic. Yeah, that's cool. if, If they have some, you know way of changing the diopter or whatever in it i'm sure they'll say that mm-hmm. i don't know it during the thing but yeah um tim apple is if he's going to be wearing one exactly he needs eyesight compatibility uh i would so. love to know like the the ratio of people with eyesight problems in apple and those who don't because it's like i think industry i, I think, think more people need does. glasses than people don't nowadays like in general in general that's crazy yeah. wow because uh, and for those who don't know the whole reason be why is because our eyesight develops thanks thanks to uv radiation from the sun like uh-huh. you need to be physically outside getting a ton of uh <laughs> prop 65 known to say california cause cancer hey. uh, into your eyeballs otherwise your eyeballs don't develop um and you get you get uh near farsighted whatever it's called um you need glasses uh and that because we no longer spend our youths outside we now spend them learning things and being smarter which is a good trade-off to be fair um yeah we need glasses uh so the whole thing of like oh the person that wears glasses is smarter which was a joke in the 60s uh is probably true uh, because people who have underdeveloped eyes <laughs> who who got an education and therefore spent most of their childhood indoors uh, have underdeveloped eyes that need glasses versus those that did not get an education uh, tended to be fine without glasses. Uh, that might take a reversing trend as some countries are mm-hmm. noticing this and they are therefore pushing for more of the curriculum to be outside uh, for developing children. Oh. Uh, but we have, as a collective society, found out that that is the reason why all of a sudden, basically everyone needs glasses um, or contacts. But yeah, um, contacts suck. Uh, they suck. Out there. Agreed. Um. So yeah, I don't think I have anything else. I don't think we're going to see new displays. Um, I think no. the, the only new displays we're seeing are from the reality headset that will give us infinite displays. So I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to that. Um, that's the dream. That's the dream. 
if if uh, it turns out that we can order as developers these reality headsets early, mm-hmm. um, and I try one on and I get motion sickness immediately, which I 100% think will also happen, uh, I may also be returning it in that situation. Um, yeah, but definitely looking forward to that as the the cool new headlining uh, hardware thing for this year. Um, yep. And yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Yep, for sure. I mean, that's like, that's the thing. If, if Apple is going to do this, they're, they're actually doing a headset, whether it's now or in the future, you'd like have to hope that they overcome those like fundamental problems of motion sickness, of eyesight, of eyesight. Like it's, it's like so fundamental and like i i bought an oculus the first version of the oculus rift and i sold it like a couple months later because one i had to wear contacts and i hate them but two yeah it made me motion sick because it can't keep up and it's you have to hope that if apple's gonna do it they're going to actually do it right and solve these fundamental problems that like everyone gets it's like everyone will get sick it's not like an issue of do you get motion sick playing video games it's like you will get motion sick. So, yeah. And I, I'm definitely looking forward to trying it out. Like I've never really yeah. used AR VR in any capacity uh, beyond trying it one time at an anime expo. And it was uh, not super appropriate because it was an anime expo. Uh, so <laughs> that was, that was the only experience I had in AR, uh, not AR, just pure VR. Um, it was VR, funny. Yeah. Um, and it was not private, thankfully, um, because it would have been very awkward. Um, but I, I want to try the real use case. I want to try using it as a replacement for needing a whole bunch of screens to have yes, my brain exactly. splattered, right? If I can splatter my brain in the side of my office and then I can walk away from it and come back to it and it's still there. Perfect. That's exactly so what cool. I want out of something. Um, yeah. so uh, that could be my use case, right? Just like I use yep. an iPad for one or two things. If this thing costs less than an additional Pro Display XDR, then like, and it's getting me way more real estate, then that's worth it to me, right? Um, for that one use case. Um, and that is one of the things that they talked about, right? Um, yep. of, of potentially using it as a screen for your Mac. Um, <laughs> we'll see if it's limited uh, in that regard or if yeah. it's capable. That's but I think that that's what that, we're going to see. Yeah. That would be like my number one use cases. Can I yeah, have an infinite display? And I think that's the dream for like a lot of people, a lot of um, computer users, right? Yeah. I think that, I mean, I don't know what else I would really use it for. I mean, when I had the Rift, you can, you know, pull up YouTube and you're like sitting in a theater and it's cool, but like that would be fun. But yeah, like watching movies would be cool, but yeah, just having an infinite canvas of a, computer would be maybe that's why share play is a thing right because otherwise you're you're watching it on your own but if someone else has it right next to you then you can share it with them yeah i mean there's there's some good uh foundation for you know potential uses of it for sure yeah so we'll see uh something that's going to come out soon looking forward to it As always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on mastodon.social at CodeCompletion to know when new episodes go live, and feel free to toot at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, 
please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buniel, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. But yeah, I've I've been unable to play uh, because I'm I'm trying to to code while also taking care of a human child that does not know how to be a human yet. Um, yes. And oh boy, is that hard? Um, I bet because it's not just like oh you'll have time like downtime. It's uh, the this this is a a hundred percent full time endeavor of making sure that uh, even if the 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 child is sleeping um, that they are comfortable that they have everything that they need um, and when they are sleeping that means that you have maybe an hour to do anything. Um, mm-hmm. But then that hour is interrupted quickly by needing to change diapers, needing to make sure that they're not too hot, not too cold, making sure that they're fed. And then another hour went by and then it's like, okay, maybe I get another hour, but you don't know if you're going to get another hour. So you sit tight. Um, So I have spent all that time uh, watching uh, ZFG. And if you don't know who ZFG is, (laughs) uh, ZFG is a Zelda speedrunner who has been playing Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, in like 13 hour increments um, split up on YouTube uh, and six hours at a time. So like I spend a good six hour chunk of my evening uh, trying to care for a baby who is either cranky or something is wrong. So I'm just like walking around going back and forth. uh, So that way the thing is content um, and watching that. So that's my, my Zelda ing for the past week ish has been uh that and not so much playing um but yeah nice that's cool i uh i've not done much zelda ing but i did um sometime last week uh try out yuzu the emulator and uh was very very careful with my custom firmwareing of my non brick switch and extracted the game from it and uh have been playing tears of the kingdom on my my pc and it is amazing looking at it at 60 fps it looks so good uh and i'm very surprised by the performance of it where um it will stutter very briefly when it has to like compile a new shader but it will cache it so it loads all the shaders the next time you run the game and it's like very smooth at this point so uh, seeing it in that light has been really cool. Uh, but I also have been uh, getting back to the latest Fire Emblem game and playing the DLC because I didn't realize it came out so soon. So running through all the DLC has been fun too. So, yeah. Sounds fun. Do you think we're going to get a, a renewed interest in emulation on uh, Apple hardware thanks to a certain headset coming out that might have significantly more power than previous headsets and therefore might garner some attention for modding. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. I, uh, looking forward to seeing how Apple locks it down and prevents that somehow, but I don't know. 
yeah, that definitely not going to be something that most people can do. Um, yeah. But for developers, I mean, it, it might be very easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it might be, you know, as easy as loading up the Xcode project and, you know, plugging it in. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing I'm a developer because I'll try it. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye.